Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, visit our website at overflowdfw.com. Well, hey, welcome so much. So glad you guys are here. We're continuing our series today called God of Promise. Say God of Promise. God of Promise. Aren't you glad that we serve a God of Promise? That he's not distant, that he's not a God that... Uh, that has changed his mind about you, right? He has he's not changed his mind about the things that he has promised. And we started this series last week talking about the Edemic Covenant, and that's and or the Edenic Covenant and the Edemic Covenant. Some some theologians include those in the covenants, some don't. But basically, what we learned last week is first of all that God is Creator, that He is Elohim, and that is the plural word for God. Let us make man in our own image. The, the, we, we looked at God from a distance and said he is Elohim, but we know that God also gave us the name Yahweh, where we would know him by a covenant-keeping name. And that, the reason why God gave us that name Yahweh is so that he had a name to sign at the bottom of the covenant or the contract. And so God has given us that name saying, listen, I'm more than a creator. I'm actually a promise keeper. So I'm active and I'm living in your life to accomplish accomplish who I am and what I said I will do. And we talked about that Edemic Covenant. And basically, the, the main point of that covenant is this, is that, is that someone will come from Eve, right? Adam ruined everything and Eve ruined everything. But God said, out of your seed, I'm going to raise up someone. And he, and he prophesies to the snake, someone who you'll bruise his heel, right? You'll, you'll send him to the cross, but he'll have the final word because he will crush your head. And so that is the Edemic covenant is a redeemer, not just one who brings redemption, not just redemption, but an actual redeemer, someone who's in our life that that crushes Satan's head, that crushes Satan's authority in our life. So that's the, the, the recap of last week. And we're really focusing this week on boat and bow. Say that with me today, boat and bow. And we're going to be talking about the famous boat, the ark, right? Noah and the ark. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk a little bit about that rainbow that shows up at the end of that narrative. But I want you to declare with me the theme verse for this series, Hebrews chapter 10 verse 23. Just to declare that verse with me, let us hold tightly. Come on. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope that we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promises. Let's say that together one more time. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promises. I hope you'll memorize that while we're doing this series. But in the, in, in the narrative of Noah, we have this picture of the world gone mad, right? The world gone bad and the world gone mad. And really all of this is a result from what happened in Eden, right? When they ate of that tree of knowledge, when they said, we want to have the power to decide what's right, we don't want to go by what God has told us what's right is wrong. We want to have independence of God. We want to be able to decide for ourselves what is right and wrong. We see where that leads. And if you will study the book of Genesis all the way through, you'll see that, that the world is falling, that there's all this violence, that the world is becoming increasingly dark, and it's all a, a result of man's independence of God. And so it's, it, it's a dark story. You know, we, 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 we paint nurseries, 
right, up as Noah and the ark, right, don't we? And we have all these, like, pretty images in our mind. But really, the story of Noah's ark is a dark story. It's really not a children's story. In fact, most of the stuff that we, that we, we, we like it because it's got animals and this kind of old guy that's like 900 years old. We, we like that part of the narrative, but it's really a very dark story. There was a movie that came out several years ago. Did y'all see that, Noah? And, uh, you know, it had Russell Crowe in it, so I'm like, man, I'm watching that. And it, was, it was not just a bad movie. <laughs> Come on. It was, it, was, it, was, it was a really bad movie. Uh, a bad representative of what the story really, really is. And so, but what we do get is, is we do get the dark part right in the movie. I mean, the movie's really dark, but really it is a dark story. It's a dark story because humanity is broken. I mean, you think the world's bad now. I mean, there was violence. The whole world was violence and there was only one righteous person on the whole earth. Only one. So they got the, the dark part right, but the accurate part wrong, right, with the movie. And and so it says this in Genesis chapter 6, that the world was corrupt and filled with violence. It was corrupt. What is corrupt? Corrupt means, means a good thing was ruined. And so God created this perfect place, right? Eden. And not just Eden, the whole world was, was really perfect. God placed man in Eden, the, the kind of epicenter of it. But man messed the world up. He corrupted the world. Why? By doing what was right in his own eyes. By thinking he could do it without God. And it's this downward spiral of, of the good thing being ruined. It was corrupt. And, and I want to suggest this to you. This is hundreds of years later. I want to suggest this to you that like many things and many good things, with sin, sometimes the sowing side of it is slow. Right? A lot of times we look at when we make a mistake, we think, well, I didn't see any repercussions of it. Yeah, you didn't today, but you might in 10 years. Or maybe your kids will suffer from the choices that you're making right now. Isn't it interesting that we have a society that says, I'm going to do whatever I want, and their kids are watching them. Right? Your kids are watching you. My kids are watching me when I blow it. They're also watching me if I'm willing to be humble enough to repent when I do. So like many good things with sin, sometimes sowing, I'm sorry, reaping is slow. The sowing is fast, but the reaping is slow. So the madness that we have in this story is just like the madness that we experience today. The madness in the world is not because of God. It's because of sin. Sin is what I mean. It's not, you know, everybody wants to blame God. Listen, if we were doing things God's way, it would not be the way it is. But we have fallen short. This is the narrative. The whole narrative of Scripture is we need God. That is the narrative of Scripture. What is, what is the Bible about? The Bible is about the kingdom of God and how we need God and how messed up it is when we say we can do it without Him. This is the narrative of Scripture. So it says in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, it says, The Lord observed, the Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth. And he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. I mean, this is God's report of the state of the planet at this time. Consistent and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry. Wow. I mean, for the Lord to feel regret, this is how 
messed up the world with. So the Lord was sorry he ever made them and put them on the earth. Man, I hope God never feels that way again. And it says this, it broke his heart. One translation, I believe the, the NIV version says this. It says his heart was filled with pain. Filled with pain. God's heart, God's heart was broken at the state of the world. And we, we look at the, the wrath of God and we think, oh, God's mad. Listen, mostly God's hurt. Mostly God's hurt. And this is what God could have done. It was his creation. Listen, it's God's prerogative to do whatever he wants to do. He could have folded the whole thing up. He could have started over entirely. He could have, he could have just reached down with his God hand and crushed the earth and said, I'll create a new one. But if you remember, he promised something long before this moment. He promised something, and we talked about that promise last week. He promised something to Adam and Eve, and God is good to keep his promise. So he said, I'm not going to fold the whole thing up. I'll find someone that, continue, that can continue and walk into the promise that I gave Eve hundreds of years before. And it says this, that God finds a person to use. Genesis 6, 8, but Noah found favor with the Lord. Why did Noah find favor with the Lord? Well, here's the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man. The only blameless person living on the earth. The only one. Wow. And he walked in close fellowship with God. What, made no, what, what caused Noah to have favor? Well, we know Hebrews tells us that Noah was a man of faith. And faith is the vehicle to appropriate righteousness. So he, had, listen, right? Faith has always been the thing. Noah had faith, therefore he had favor. And he had, listen, where did that all come from? It came from that last line right there. He, he, he lived in close, he walked in close fellowship with God. When you walk in close fellowship with God, you will realize that God is a promise keeper and it's easy to put faith in God. And so Noah was at this place. He was blameless. He was righteous. Why was he righteous? Why did he have favor? Because he had faith. He believed God. He believed God was good for his word. He believed that God was a promise. I'm sure that he had heard what God had told. The snake in the garden that day, he will crush his head. So God gives Noah his plan to build an ark. We're familiar, right? He's like, listen, I want you to build this ark. And most believe that it took somewhere between 80 and 100 years to build this boat. Now he's like, why do I need to build a boat? God's like, it's going to rain. What's rain? Because it never rained before. But what did Noah do? He obeyed. Why? Because when you have faith, you obey. What does faith look like? Obedience. That's what it looks like, right? And so we know, it says this in Genesis 6, verse 18, but I will confirm, oh, love that, confirm. I'll confirm my covenant with you, so enter the boat, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. And then we know the story, right? Two of, two of every animal, right? There's a, there's a little thing that says, how many animals did Moses take on the ark? How many? None. Moses didn't take anybody on the ark. It's Noah. All right, so, so <laughs> preacher joke. So Noah, I'll probably say Moses a couple of times today. So Noah takes two of every kind and then uh, of every animal, but of 
clean animals, he took six. Why? Because there needed to be some sort of animals to bring sacrifice to the Lord. God deserves something. So God said, listen, I want you to take two of them for mating. The others are for sacrifice. Because at that time, everybody was a vegetarian. <laughs> Thank God that he fixes that here in just a minute. And later, they're going to need to eat some meat. Well, they can't eat their, their animals that are meant for breeding. So God says, I'm, you need to go ahead and hold that, set that aside. But primarily, it's for worshiping. So Noah's family, we know the story. They get it. They build the, the boat. Everybody's probably making fun of them. They build the, the big ark, and they get in the big ark. All the animals are there. And I love it that it says that God shut the door. I mean, God reaches down or comes up. I don't know how he did it, but it says that God shut the door. God secured them inside. Talk about quarantine, right? So here they are for about eight months in the midst of, first of all, a storm that they've never experienced before. Can you imagine? You're on the earth. It's never rained before. Now water is pouring down out of the sky. It's not stopping. 40 days, 40 nights, which is always interesting when it says 40 days, 40 nights, because I'm like, you could just say 40 days, right? So it rains for 40 days, and the, the entire earth, Scripture tells us, is flooded. And so they're here on this boat for 40 days, 40 nights, and then they got to wait several more months for that water to recede. We've been stuck in our houses for eight weeks, 10 weeks, 64 years. It feels like it. I mean, could you imagine stinky animals, right, on a boat? But it says this in Genesis chapter 8, verse 1. It says, God remembered Noah and the wild animals and the livestock with him in the boat. It's interesting that God's even looking at the animals. He sent a wind to blow across the earth, and the floodwaters began to recede. Now, when it says floodwaters, water, listen, water wasn't just coming down. It was actually coming up. We, we think it just rained for 40 days, but it also God caused all the springs of the earth to produce water. So they're, they're up in the water. I mean, it's all around, coming up, coming down, everywhere. And the waters begin to recede. So 40 days pass after this. Mo, uh, Noah sends out there, almost said Moses. Almost, almost. And he sends out a raven, and, he, you know, he comes back, and then finally sends out a dove. I love it. He sends out a dove, and a dove comes back with an olive branch saying, hey, listen, the water has receded. And then God actually tells Noah. He didn't even get out of the boat till God tells him. He's like, listen, it's safe for you to get out. I want you to go ahead and come out. I want you to start being established. And look at this in Genesis chapter 8, verse 20. We're going to read a lot of this story today, and then I'll, I'll give you some points. Y'all all right? So Noah built, I love it. When he gets out, the first thing he does is this. Noah built an altar to the Lord. He took one of those clean animals, and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering. The animals and the birds that had been approved, here it is, for that purpose, I love this, 21, and the Lord was pleased. I mean, here's God experiencing pleasure. It's been a long time. See, God, God is always pleased with our worship. God's always pleased with our sacrifice. You're, you're pleased when, 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 when you don't have to give up anything, right? But God's pleased when, when it costs us something. <laughs> you know? 
And the Lord is pleased with the aroma of the sacrifice and said to himself, this is an important statement, I will never again. I will never again curse the ground because of the human race. Even though everything they think or imagine is bent towards evil from childhood, I will never again destroy all living things. Never again. I will never do it again. And it says in Genesis 9, and this is where we get into the Noahic covenant. Genesis 9, verse 15. Then God blessed Noah and his sons and told them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. Interesting. Remember, that's what God told Adam. All the animals, and he adds this on, all the animals of the earth and all the birds of the sky and all the small animals that scurry along the ground and all the fish in the sea will look on you with fear and terror. I have placed them in your power. I have given them to you for food. Praise the Lord. Just as I have given you grain and vegetables. But you must never, this is interesting, but you must never eat any meat that still has lifeblood in it. Other words, don't be like an animal when you eat an animal. I want you to have some respect for their life. And I will require the blood of anyone who takes another person's life. If you remember, the violence had become so strong. People were killing people left and right. And God's like, listen, we're going to put an end to this thing. And I will require the blood of anyone who takes another person's life. If a wild animal kills a person, it must die. We will value life on this new earth. Anyone who murders a fellow human must die. If anyone takes a human life, that person's life will also be taken by human hands. Uh Uh-oh. For God made human beings in his own image. Now be fruitful and multiply and repopulate the earth. Then God told Noah and his sons, I hereby confirm my covenant with you and your descendants. And with all the animals, I love it that this is, a, this is not just a covenant to Noah, it's a covenant to the earth. It's a covenant to all living things, even to the animals. <laughs> it's crazy. God's promising animals things. And to all living things that are on you with the boat, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, every living creature on earth. Yes, I am confirming my covenant with you, Noah. Never again will floodwaters kill all living creatures. Never again, never again, never again will I do this. Never again will a flood destroy the earth. Then God said, I am giving you a sign. We love this. I am giving you a sign. My covenant with you and with all living creatures for all generations to come, I have placed my rainbow in the clouds. It's a sign of my covenant with you and with all the earth. When I send clouds over the earth, the rainbow will appear in the clouds, and I will remember my covenant. I love the two themes here. Never again, I will remember. Never again, I will remember. I'm confirming to you, Noah, my promise. Your job is to populate the earth. My job is to protect the earth. And I will remember my covenant with you and with all living creatures. When I look at that rainbow, Noah, and when you look at that rainbow, you're not going to get afraid because it never rained before. You're not going to look at the rain when it's coming down and go, is it going to stop today? Because that's probably what he, if it, I mean, imagine you need the rain. But what's going to happen when it starts raining? How is his family going to feel? Oh, here we go again. 
Where's the ark? We, we made firewood out of it. Where, where is it? No, no, no. It's going to be all right, gang. Look, there's the rainbow. God promised he'll never do it again. So the Noahic covenant, how, how does this fit into our life? What is, what is it speaking? What is, what is its message? The first thing is this is renewal. Renewal. Everybody say renewal. A renewal. See, it's a covenant of old being renewed, right? Populate the earth. Fill the earth. Subdue it. Dominion. It's a renewal of an old covenant. How many know that God doesn't have to destroy you to renew you? <laughs> right? And some of you think that God just wants to be, no, he wants you to crawl up on the altar, but he, he's not going to take your life. He's going to ask you to offer it. He doesn't have to destroy you to renew you. It's, it's, it's a promise of renewal. It's a promise of new beginnings. And even though we've, we have corrupted our life, and even you, you will probably do it again this week. God promises to renew you. God promises to refresh you. And even though by sin we've separated ourselves from God, even by sin we have corrupted our life, there is an ark that God provides. God has provided an ark amidst the corruption, amidst the, the, the destruction. God provides an ark. And the ark is Jesus. And he says, I will send my son to renew you. I will send my son to redeem you. Jesus said this, I am the door. Jesus is the, there's only one way to get in the ark. There's only one way to safety. There's only one way. It's through the door. Jesus said, John chapter 10, verse 9, I am the door. I am the gate. Come on in. God will seal the door. Anyone who belongs to Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. He's been regenerated. The old life is gone. It's gone. It's been renewed. The new life has come. See, some of us, we hold on to the old life, either through shame or because we like the pleasures of it. God's saying, will you die to the new life? i got a better life for you. It's about renewal. And this is what we learn in this covenant, that God has promised to renew us, to make us new, to make us brand new, not based upon our mistakes or our history or our education or the neighborhood that we were raised in or the, 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 the family scenario that we came through or, the, or the, the report that the doctor gave when you were born that you had these dysfunctions. God's promised to renew you. He's promised to renew you. And Jesus is that door of renewal. Will you get in the ark of Christ? and experience God's renewal. The second thing that we have in this covenant is a reaffirming of our image. God is reaffirming our image. He's saying, not just for you, but for all life. So when you kill animals, do it in a respectful way. Animals, I'm telling you, the man will have dominion over you, but, he's, but when he takes your life, he's going to do it in a respectful way. He's not going to act like an animal when he eats an animal, right? But the point of this is this. He is reaffirming the image of God. And that's why he says, I have created. Listen, man has value. Even in his corrupt state, God looks at man and he says, he has value. You're not allowed to kill. Nobody else is righteous, but you had unrighteous people killing other unrighteous people. God's like, we're not going to put up with that. We are not going to. We will value life. 
the, the Imago Dei, the image of God. You were created in the image of God. You were created to be like God. Listen, this is why racism is, is messed up. Why is racism messed up? Because every race is made in the image of God. That's why it's messed up. That's why it's broken. That's why murder is wrong. Because you're, you're taking away the image of God. You, you're removing what God created and said, I want them to represent me. This is why abortion is wrong. Because people are made in the image of God. This is why every person is valuable. Regardless of their gender, regardless of their ethnicity, regardless of their social economic class, regardless of who they voted for, regardless if they're the candidate that is in office that you disagree with them. Because I watched a lot of people disregard, I'm talking five years ago, Christian people disregard the image of God in someone that they didn't vote for. Beloved, it don't matter who it is that you voted for, who your boss is, who your teacher is, how your spouse is acting. They are made in the image of God. No matter how righteous or unrighteous they are, we need to honor God in those people. This is why Jesus commanded us, love your enemies. Even those that mean it poorly for you, love them. Those that aren't fair, those that are dishonest, those that are righteous, those that are vile, vile. And this is what God is saying to Noah. Every person's important. But people have not held to that value. So we're going to make sure that they do. This is why Jesus, the reason why Jesus paid a high price for you is not just because he loves you and he does deeply, beloved, but he wanted to restore. He wanted to renew the image of God in you. He wanted to make you clean again. And I love James 1.18. It says, out of all creation, we have become his prized possession. Humanity. Humanity. So we see the renewal making all things new. We see the reaffirming of our image. I value humans. I value human life regardless of their behavior. The third thing that we see, and this is, if there's a word that can describe the Noahic covenant, this would be the main one, restraint. I know that we don't necessarily like this idea when we talk about wrath. But the story of Noah and the ark is a story about grace, but it's in the midst of wrath. And it was, listen, it was wrath way before it started raining because people were living their own way. And God was like, we're just going to have to clean it out. Not wrath out of God's anger, but wrath in order to preserve humanity as a whole. Remember, God's motivation was what? His heart was filled with pain. It wasn't his heart was filled with anger. His heart was filled with pain. He knew, he knew that this would have to happen in order for humanity to be preserved, where they were just going to kill each other. So he said, I'll have to raise up somebody. So it was out of his love that wrath was poured out. 
Understand that anytime God's wrath is poured out, it is out of his love. It is not out of his anger. Are you tracking? God gets angry, no doubt. But it's out of his love that wrath is poured out. Love is always God's motivator. Wrath is always removing the things that hinder love. Romans chapter 1, verse 8, 18. It says this. It says, the wrath of God is being revealed. The wrath of God is being revealed. And I want to suggest this to you. The idea of common wrath. Okay? And you might buy this or not, but this is kind of my theory on wrath. The wrath of God. God's like mad and he reacts. This is what we think about with the wrath of God, right? No, no, no. God loves. This is what I believe. I believe that God set this motion, this thing into motion called wrath. Justice. Right? Bad things get punished. Reaping and sowing. So I view the wrath of God as simply a law, as a common thing that happens. When I sin, it destroys me. When I sin, it's destructive to other people. It's reaping and sowing. It's not because something bad happens because I sin. Yeah, but it's not like God's going, okay, gotcha. I believe it's a law that's set in motion called wrath. And we've already seen this. We, We see this before Noah shows up on the scene. And so when it says in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, it says the wrath of God is being revealed. In other words, it's already there. It's just being shown. And it says, how is that happening? It says, by, by, it's being revealed from heaven against the godless and wickedness people of people. So it's in the behaviors of people that kind of peel back the curtain. Listen, same way when you do something good, the love of God is pulled back. When you do something evil, the wrath of God is revealed. It's just there. And you're exposing it. God set it in motion. The reality is this. Sin has consequences. It's, it, <laughs> payday doesn't always come on Friday. Right? And, and we'll see this again. That even after this account, even after God cleanses the earth, what happens? People start getting evil again. Remember the Tower of Babel? God's like, here they go again. I'll confuse their language. I mean, we just see evil, evil, evil all throughout the scriptures. But God says, I'm not going to wipe it out again because I made a promise. In the midst of common wrath, we see restraint. And I'll view it like this. Wrath is coming and God's going, uh-uh. No. Not here today. No wrath. We call this common grace. See, this is the thing. If God's grace was not in order, if God's grace wasn't going throughout the planet right now, it would be destroyed. It'd be like in the days of Noah. Are you tracking? So God is saying with restraint, he is saying, listen, I have common grace for humanity. I am making sure that wrath is not going to destroy the planet. And he's holding it back. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. So in the midst of this common wrath that is residing, there is common grace that comes up under it and says, no. It's the grace of God. See, it's the grace of God that you weren't destroyed by your sin that you committed. It's the grace of God that your eyeballs didn't fall out when you looked at porn. It's the grace of God. It's the grace of God that you don't, you don't experience the full extent of the punishment of your sin. 
That's the grace of God. It's called common grace. So it's God's grace is just kind of holding the earth together even though people are doing stupid, vile things. God's like, I made this promise to Noah. I'm going to make sure. I know. I know they deserve it. Common grace. Common grace. I know they deserve to die here. Common grace. Common grace. Psalm 145.9. The Lord is good to everyone. He's good to everyone. Not just saints, but sinners. God is good to everyone. He showers compassion on all his creation. All of us. All of us ex- experience his kindness. All of us experience his goodness. So he's saying, I know they deserve wrath, but I will remember mercy. Why? So that the world could be reserved, preserved. Why? Why does God have common mercy? Why does God have common grace? When, 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 they should be, when the world should be punished. Why? So that preservation could happen. So that Jesus could end up on the scene. So that we could get our hearts right. Because our hearts without Jesus are going to always end up at Babel. They're always going to end up in the days of Noah. We're always going to end up in a judgment scenario because our hearts are wicked without God. Isaiah 53.5. Check this out. So what does God do? He preserves the earth. And then what he does, he says, listen, instead of you being punished for your sins, I'm going to point the wrath on Jesus. This is what it says. Isaiah 53, 6. All of us, all of us, like sheep have strayed away. Don't eat from that tree, Adam. All of us. We've strayed away. We've left God's path to follow our own. I don't need God. I can figure out what's right and wrong on my own. Yet the Lord has laid on him the sins, the iniquity of us all. Jesus was punished for your sins. Not just preservation, which we've been talking about, but reconciliation. Check this out. Romans 5, 9. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Through who? Through Christ. Through Christ. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? So Jesus took the common wrath to give us special grace. Jesus, not just common grace, special grace. So there was already grace. Grace, grace provided the way for Jesus. And then Jesus says, I'll give them special grace. In the midst of common wrath, I will give them special grace. I'll look at them as individuals and I'll say, I want you. I want your heart right. I'm going to change everything. I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to give you a new spirit. You'll know me. So Jesus took common wrath to give us special grace. The fourth thing is this, is remembrance. I say remembrance. So God makes his covenant. I'm not going to pour out wrath. You're going to reap. You're going to, I'm going to renew you. I'm going to make you new. I'm going to reestablish your identity as, as human beings. And I'm going to do something. I'm going to put something in the sky so I won't forget it. But also so you won't forget it. I don't think God's forgetter works very good except for when we confess our sins. But it's interesting that God said, I, 
I'm gonna, I'm making such a commitment to this thing that I'll, I'll establish something so I can look at it and remember. And so we have covenant signs, right? We have wedding bands, right? Some, some cultures grow their beards out. I believe it's Amish people that grow their beards out to say, hey, I'm married. I got a beard now. That'd be pretty, pretty bad deal for me. Good thing I'm not Amish. Praise the Lord. It wouldn't be pretty scraggly. Some cultures, uh, women wear their hair a certain way or put a, a, a certain kind of color, color of clothing or makeup on their face. All these things. Why? Because they're saying it's, I have a sign of a covenant. I've made a commitment, and we see this all throughout the scriptures, especially in the Old Testament, that once a covenant was made, something was established, a point of remembrance. Remember even Jesus, whenever he told us to take communion, he said, do this in remembrance of me. Remember the new covenant that I'm making. So when you get together, eat the bread, drink the wine. Why? Because I want you to remember. That word bow is not rainbow. I know in the translation we read, it's not rainbow. There's not, a, there's not a Hebrew word for rainbow. There's just a word for bow. What is a bow? A bow is a tool for violence. A bow is a tool for hunting, for taking life. A, a bow is a, is, is a tool, is a weapon to destroy an enemy. And understand that up until this point, listen, there was no, people weren't eating meat. They weren't using bows for hunting. They were only using bows for killing. Humans, other humans, murdering. So God says, listen, what I'm going to do in the midst of all this violence, in the midst of all this judgment, I've been using my bow to strike the earth. I've been judging the earth. And he says this, I will set my bow down. I will set that tool of violence down. And I will set it in the clouds so you can look at it and say, God's bow is not pointed towards us. Look, 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 look at how the bow is shaped. Look at how the bow is shaped. Do we have that? So the bow that was pointed down, God says, you know what? I'm going to put it up in the sky. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn it upside down. Why is God turning it upside down? He's saying, because listen, the bow now is pointed towards Christ. I will lay all the wrath, just as it says in Romans right there, just as it says in Isaiah. I will put the sins, I will put the, the judgment of sins all upon Jesus. Heaven's provision. We're changing the way the bow is art. And God said, I'm going to put it in the clouds. And when I look at it, I'm going to remember. I'm going to remember common grace. And I'm going to remember special grace. Because one who is coming will redeem the human race. And they will never experience the judgment of God. A weapon of war is now a symbol of peace and mercy. So Noah, when it starts raining, Noah, when it starts getting cloudy and dark outside, Hey, Noah, when it starts thundering and your kids are running in your room and they're concerned. Noah, just look up and remember, it's not going to go down like you're afraid it will. Because I have provided a provision for you and the provision is in the promise. You don't have to be afraid of judgment. You have. 
special grace. Much like that blood-stained cross on Calvary. Once represented and was a symbol of criminals and of justice, God said, I'm going to change the meaning of the cross. No longer will you look at the cross where criminals hang. You'll look at the cross as a place where the Savior hangs for the salvation of humanity. And now that symbol of justice will be a symbol of righteousness, will be a symbol of mercy.